If you have ever had the privilege of walking through the Sistine Chapel and looked up the 68 feet to see Michelangelo's masterpiece, then you have been in awe. Or simply laid in the grass, away from the city lights on a clear night, and looked up to the millions of miles of our universe. Then you have been in awe. Well, today uh, we have on In Awe by Bruce, Dr. David Watson. He's an academic dean and vice president for academic affairs and associate professor of New Testament at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. He teaches New Testament Greek, church renewal courses, the Bible and disability. He's married to Harriet and has two children. He's the author of several books, including Honor Among Christians, The Cultural Key to the Messianic Secret, and he has a heart for training dynamic leaders for the future ministry of Jesus Christ and a burden for open, honest, and respectful communication in our churches. And I think we can all aim in that. Dr. Watson, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Great. Well, it's good to have you on. And from really just a basic question, yeah. you know, when you look at being in awe of God, what does that mean to you? Being in awe of God, I think in the Bible, there are times when people encounter God, mm-hmm. and they are simply overwhelmed by God's presence. And when I think of being in awe of God, that's what I think of, uh, just sort of being overcome by the presence of the Lord, especially in, in times of worship. Mm-hmm. And those those times of being in in the presence give us so much – they recharge us so much for the mission – to which we're called. For me, at least, that's what keeps fuel in the tank. That makes me think then, was there an incident or incidences that in your own life that truly inspired you, that you go back and look at, that recharge you? It's no secret that for a while now I've been involved with uh, the kind of the third wave charismatic movement. And I think that what they've tapped into and it's it's not just them i mean i see this in in methodism and other parts of the world as well especially in cuban methodism um is what they've tapped into is a sense of what's sometimes called presence-based worship you know a lot of times in the protestant world we do word-based worship so so everything is kind of centered on the sermon and i love good preaching Mm. but presence-based worship is the idea um, that we come to worship for a direct encounter with God uh, so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. You know, like John Wimber used to say, uh, we can get filled with the Holy Spirit, but we leak. Hmm. And so we go back into worship to get filled up again and again. So, you know, if if what we're doing in, in worship is trying to place ourselves intentionally in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, inviting the Holy Spirit uh, to be among us, asking the Holy Spirit to move, surrendering ourselves to God. There's real power in that. And, I, and for me, at least, that's what, that's what gives me inspiration and stamina for, mm. for the work that I do. Now, did something happen that captured your attention to look that way, or did you grow up with that kind of happening around you, and you followed that? I didn't grow up with it. I grew up in kind of uh, evangelical, 
United Methodist context. Okay. And it was not really until I was much older and I was I was actually teaching in a seminary uh, that I began to I began spending time in worship with Christians who were worshiping with a deep sense of expectation of the presence of God and for, and for God to move with power. And one of those instances, I remember the first time I ever went to uh, a conference called Voice of the Prophets uh, mm-hmm. that, that is affiliated with Global Awakening and Randy Clark. And if you don't know, Randy Clark um, was the principal preacher in the Toronto Revival in the mid-90s. I didn't know that much about it at the time I, I first went to this conference. I, I went to it because we were starting to get a number of students from our Doctor of Ministry program from this organization, Global Awakening, and mm-hmm. I, I wanted to learn more about it. I also went there to recruit students, and as soon as I got in there, it took me about 10 minutes to realize that these folks had something I was missing. Mm. And yeah. and I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what what it wasn't an id, it was a person, you know, that that the Holy Spirit is a person who comes to meet us and wants to move in our lives, not just an idea, not just a conscience. Not just kind of something that gives us moral leadings, but the real the the presence of God who wants to move with power. Mm. And I I guess I in some ways I knew that before, but experiencing it was very powerful for me. And and then you know shortly after that I um, I also encountered Aldersgate Renewal Ministries, which is a charismatic renewal movement within the United Methodist Church. And I thought, uh, yeah, these folks were really on to something. And, and the more I began to learn about Wesley, you know, the more I realized that there's there's a part of our history as Methodists that we just don't talk about. Yeah. And that part of our – I mean if you look for these early st- stories of, of Methodist history, of these powerful encounters people had with the Holy Spirit, and not just you know John Wesley, but Wesley recounts in his journal a time uh, George Whitfield had just been talking about how much he didn't like all these manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and then as he was, the next time he was preaching, four people fell out, you know, just, just and they, they just fell down, and you know, they, they have different manifestations, but in early Methodism, it seems that when people fall out in the Spirit, it's because they're overcome with God's power that's leading them into repentance. Mm. And I think Methodism can be that again. I think we're afraid in many cases Mm -hmm. for God to move with power in our communities because it, it, it is a challenge to all the things we've set up. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yes. You know, all the agenda-driven and program-driven work that we do, God may just come in and sweep aside and and move us in a direction that we never wanted or even thought about going before, which is kind of what happened in my life with all of this. You, you know, I, I've got to agree with you. The thing that I see is that we have a tendency to want to control things. And in controlling things, you know, we keep them in order. But it's like Jesus when he talked about the Spirit. Obviously, as you know, being a Greek scholar, <laughs> pneuma, wind, mm-hmm. 
Right. It's like the wind. It comes and goes, and, and, and that's the whole point. You can't control it, and the Holy Spirit is going to move us in ways that we didn't expect. Uh, you know, just a small example I'll throw in here. A friend of mine got sick a couple weeks ago in the hospital, some really bad stuff. I couldn't sleep that night. I was praying for him and thinking about all the things we used to do growing up and all that. Dropped my wife off at church the next day, early in the morning, and went to get some food. And on the way back, the spirit nudged me and said, drive by your old neighborhood. And so I did. I'm driving around my old neighborhood, and I'm thinking about all the things that happened and we used to do together. And as I went around the corner, there was his mom, 92 years old, trying to scrape the ice off of her car that was way too thick and too much for her at 92 to do. Right. I, I got out of my car, called her name, and she she said, you just made my day and started to cry. No. <laughs> you know, and I, I just, wow. I was Praise just God. Yeah. Praise God. And who would have, I would have just driven back to the church if it wasn't, you know, for the spirit nudging me. So here's my question for you, for somebody listening. They may be going, okay, well, how do I do this? Do, what do I have to do? And that's our normal tendency. Think, what do I have to do? Is there a hoop I have to jump through or something? But I think you're, you'll explain it a little differently. What is happening that uh, you did in your life and that people should look in their own lives to do to allow the Holy Spirit to really work this way? You know, I, I think we have to change our expectations. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the most important thing. And I do think God works in our lives a lot of times and we don't see it. We don't acknowledge that it's God at work. I mean, you could have had the same experience and just thought, oh, that was very thoughtful of me to drive by her house at that time. You know, yeah. but but because you're someone who expects God to move with power in your life, when that happens, you know that it is God who's moving in your life. I think it is important to participate in communities of worship where there is a sense of the expectation of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So, for example, there are various conferences you can go to for this. Uh, There are various churches that worship in this way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always have to be uh, what we think of as kind of highly expressive charismatic worship. I mean, I'm a really, I'm a pretty quiet guy and, you know, kind of introverted but the point is not, you know, that we stand with our hands up in the air shouting or something like that. The point is that we're there, we know God is there, and and our intention is to receive from God and to be filled with his presence so that we can do the work to which we're called and be formed into the people um, that God is calling us to be. Mm. And I think once we recover that, that's going to be one of the keys to a new revival in our country. I see this happening in other parts of the world. Um, I see it happening in Cuba. I've seen it happening in Africa. And Cuban Methodism in particular is is highly charismatic, it's highly expressive. And part of that is, is Cuban culture, which is a very uh, emotive and expressive culture. But Americans, you know, sometimes they say, well, why don't we see as many miracles in the in America as you see out in the mission field? And I think part of the deal is we don't expect enough of God because we think we don't have to. We have Mm -hmm. enough 
material wealth in the United States in many cases to sort of numb ourselves to the emptiness that we're experiencing because we don't know God in the way that we should. Mm. And, you know, Randy Clark wrote a book called There Is More. And I think that's the best title for a book I've ever heard of. You know, <laughs> there is more. There's yeah. more. There's more than we think. There's more than we expect. And what we have to do is we have to adjust our expectation to the vision of God that's given to us in Scripture. And mm. that's God who, who wants to pour himself out for us and, mm. and move with power in our lives. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard not to think to the verse from Ephesians 1 there where Paul says, the very power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. Yes. Wow. Right? I mean, think about that. That's amazing. That's, that is, to me, it just blows me away. Yeah. Yeah. And, me too. And we can't, you know, it's easy to go, oh, and no, I couldn't. No, it's, it's there. And it's, he's waiting for you to do the things that he set before you to unleash them by that power. That's right. That's right. You know, and Methodism as a movement is really predicated on that power. I mean, the idea is we can't change ourselves into the people that God wants us to be. We don't have the capacity. It's only by the grace of God, the generous outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our lives, and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit teaching us that we're children of God, that mm -hmm. we can really live like like saved people. I mean, that's Methodism 101. Yes. I'm right with you. You know, I, I was just teaching a class on the Holy Spirit uh, the last four or five weeks. One of the verses I brought out was right along those lines. Paul says in uh, Colossians 2.6, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Yes. Well, how'd you receive Christ? You couldn't do anything for it other than accept it and allow yes. it to happen. Right. Same thing with the Spirit. I can't, I can't do anything. I just turn myself over to him and then walk, which, you know, if you think about walking, it's it's truly you put your foot out in front of you and you hope it catches you. Yes. And, and that's really <laughs> right. So Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'm getting excited here talking to you. <laughs> Get pumped up. <laughs> My hands might be up in the air here in a minute. Amen. <laughs> so. I wanted to go a little further on this because you had mentioned the other churches around the world. And, you know, I had read an article that you'd written and you talked about the charismatic powerhouse that is happening in Cuba that's packing right. the churches and leading large number of people to Christ. Yeah. Can you tell us more about what you're seeing there that literally you go, oh, man, this is jaw dropping. I, this is this is the awesome God we have working in our midst. I mean, Cuba, Cuba is a country where people have been taught not to believe in God, that they, they learn Marx and Lenin in their mm. schools, uh, atheistic philosophy in their schools. Then they walk into a church where there is this incredible sense of the expectation of God, and they're in. <laughs> you know, I mean, Cuban Methodism is, is in a lot of ways a young people's movement. I take students there every year because in the United States, a lot of a lot of our students in seminaries have never been in thriving churches. They don't really know what that looks like. Wow. We went to a, a church in Cuba called Santiago de Las Vegas, mm -hmm. and not only was every seat on the floor and in the balcony full, but there were people lined up along the back of the church standing 
and people watching through the windows of the church because they couldn't get in. And I thought, God, do that here. God, will you will you do that in the United States? If it can happen in Cuba, it can happen in the United States. I really believe that. True. People are being brought to Christ through signs and wonders. It's like Paul said, you know, I didn't come to you with plausible words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the spirit and power. And and I, I think today when especially our young people are just being bombarded with messages all the time, with plausible words of wisdom from every aspect of culture you can imagine. I mean, people, I think about my own son who's 16 years old, who's how much more information he is hit with than I was when I was 16 years old. You know, yeah. I hadn't even thought of a thing called a smartphone when I was 16 years old, you know, mm-hmm. and in this age of information overload and the competition of ideas, how are we going to get through to people? Why is the Christian message not just one more idea? And I, and I think we can demonstrate its truthfulness by a demonstration of the spirit and power. And that's how the next generation, I fully believe, that's how the next generation is going to be brought to Christ. They're going to witness the power of God. What are you seeing as far as the, the students that are coming in? How are they viewing what you're talking about? Most are pretty open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the days of enlightenment skepticism uh, are mostly behind us at this okay. point. You know, like back uh, in the 90s and early 2000s, for example, Marcus Borg was very popular, you know, and, mm-hmm. and Marcus Borg was a, a good writer. And but his vision of Christianity was one where you basically had a closed universe, you know, where God doesn't really intervene into the cause and effect of history. And in that sense, Borg just stands in in sort of the tradition of uh, enlightenment, post-enlightenment Christianity, hmm. you know, with people like David Friedrich Strauss, Rudolf Bultmann, you know, others of that ilk who would simply say that the the miracle stories of the Bible are – the products of ancient worldviews, mm-hmm. and that we really don't believe those things anymore. I think people are much more open to that, kind to, to the idea of a God who really does act in our lives than they were before. So I don't see a whole lot of skepticism about that uh, from my students. There's some, but but most are open to it. And then, of course, when they experience it, then they're they're very open to it. After that. And, but they don't they don't know what to do with it because our churches haven't taught them. Yes. And, and so how do you how do you get that so that is it by the people you're bringing it up is just takes that training through that generation or are there other things going on out there that are helping people that are have been around longer uh, understand how this this can really change and go? You you have to have people who are mature in the workings of the Spirit of God, you know, mm-hmm. pe- people who have walked in this before you. You know, my colleague Pete Bellini here at United has taught me a lot about life in the Spirit. Here's what I think has to happen, okay? Mm-hmm. We, ha- we have to have spiritual fathers and mothers who are going to walk with us in this journey into the life of God. And we can't do evangelism impersonally. Uh, 
we get you know we get the attractional model of church i don't i don't think it's going to work anymore what i see with younger people is that they are hungry for spiritual fathers and mothers to come alongside them and walk with them not in a heavy-handed way not in you know but but sort of just be a companion to them in the journey of faith and I think when we do that, we're going to raise up um, a generation of leaders of incredible power, and, and that's going to that's going to lead to a new awakening in our country. Mm. Wow, it's kind of that discipleship training, the way that it's kind of the the model that Jesus gave us was raising up people to be able to raise up other people to raise up other people, and that's right. And that yeah. that's a big commitment, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you ha- you have to be willing to. Yes. Listen let someone into your life and enter into that person's life in a personal way. It takes time. It takes emotional investment. But the early church, I mean, the the early followers of Jesus understood that they were a new kind of family. I mean, you have your natural family, but you also have a, a Jesus family. And mm-hmm. and that G, and hopefully your natural family is also part of your Jesus family, but that's that's not always the case. Right. Mm-hmm. But your Jesus family, these are going to be the people who are going to walk with you as you um, grow in the things of Christ, as you mature as a Christian. And your Jesus family should be people who are with you in the hardest parts of your life and, and in the best parts of your life. I mean, we want to celebrate with each other, but we also have to be committed to being with each other, even in the tough stuff. Mm-hmm. When it's inconvenient for us, we have to be willing to pour ourselves out for one another, just like Christ poured himself out for us. Mm. Anything else that you can think of that the church can do to head that direction? You know, I, I think my colleague Scott Kisker and my friend Kevin Watson have written a book on the band meeting with Seedbed. And I think the the band meeting is going to be essential moving forward as we try to sort of reboot Methodism for whatever is coming next. Okay. I'm in a band, and we're five guys. We get together. We try to get together every week. We don't always do that, but you know, we get together, and we confess our sins to each other. And I don't like doing that. You know, I don't like confessing <laughs> my sins because I don't even like to admit to myself all the things I do wrong, much less to other people. But without that accountability, I'm not going to live the same way as I live with the accountability. Mm -hmm. And so holding each other accountable to lives of holiness and really knowing one another in a way that goes beyond the sort of superficial friendships that we tend to form through social media today I mean, social media is giving us such a false sense of community, and we get kind of a little dopamine surge every time someone likes one of our posts. <laughs> but that notion of community is so wrongheaded. It's so fake yeah. that that a Christian community, something like a band meeting, you know, your Jesus family, are mm-hmm. there going to be people who know the good things about you, and they're going to be the people who know the bad things about you. And what you're committed to together is is walking into the life of God and 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 growing in holiness, um, growing in the ways that God is going to change your heart, so that your heart is more like God's heart. Mm-hmm. And it's trusting that that grace will be shared through one another. 
because that's the biggest thing. I think we, we fear the condemnation. And yet that's the point that Paul makes, you know, there is no condemnation now in Christ. Right. But because he's given us this new life inside of us and this new power, we can now become really, we are slaves of righteousness and can live a different way and don't have to submit to those wills of the nature, the fleshly nature. That's right. And our culture, what our culture is teaching us through social media, and look, I use social media a lot. I, I'm, I'm on Twitter a lot, and I'm not saying that social media is necessarily bad, mm-hmm. but what the temptation is to present a, the best version of ourself to the world, mm-hmm. to present a kind of false, idealized vision of ourselves. But a real Christian community is one where we actually have some vulnerability with each other, and we're saying, look, I am a broken person, <laughs> just like you are, you know, just like everyone in this church is, and the only reason I'm the person, you know, anything other than that now is that God has worked in my life. You know, I, I am completely indebted to God. I'm completely dependent on God to yeah. make me into the person that I was created to be. <laughs> and so real Christian community involves knowing one another in a way that is deeper than um, than what we normally get today. Right. That's like a good prayer for all of us to yeah. Yeah. put out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we come to the end here, um, is there anything else pertinent to what we've been talking about or important that you want to say to people that you know would help encourage them or or guide them or give them deeper understanding of anything we've con- discussed? I guess the only advice I have is is seek out communities of expectation and find Christian people that are going to be serious about getting to know you and caring about you and about your getting to know them and caring about them. We've got, we've got to reimagine today what it means to be the body of Christ in relationship with each other, bound together by the Holy Spirit in a way that we simply haven't, that it's it's been too convenient to be a Christian for this to feel necessary to us. Mm-hmm. But that's changing now, and the church is going to have to um, get serious about forming a communal identity among people, and and that happens in these relationships of love and friendship and accountability and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Big, big power of the body of Christ coming together. Yes, yes, right. And right. coming together like that. I just remember the old Ray Stedman book, you know, Body Life. He talks about all the parts coming together. And, you know, it's from the Jesus movement time, but, you know, just the impact and the pull all the parts together, that's what they are. You know, we're one body, but many parts. And when they come together, it's a powerful thing. Yes, it is. David, really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us and, and oh, exposing to us to this. Thanks for having me on. It's It's uh, been an uh, enjoyable conversation. Thank you. Okay. Well, God bless you, and uh, you know, hopefully we'll talk very soon. Sounds great.